You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. It's Thursday, September the 23rd. Bright, beautiful autumn morning here in TW11. The summer pushing deep into September, which will be music to the ears of those who want fast, flat racing ground for Newmarket's Cambridgeshire Festival, which begins today and is my destination for racing TV for the next three days. It will also be the destination of the sport's leading practitioners, both human and equine. And Frankie Dottori has announced just in the last few moments that he will be riding Magical Morning in the Cambridgeshire in preference to Uncle Bryn, which could cause a few ructions in the markets for the marquee handicap this weekend. We've also got the Group 1 Cheveley Park Stakes and the Group 1 Middle Park Stakes. As far as the former is concerned, it gives trainer George Bowie firmly on the up a chance to add a Group 1 to his already glittering CV. And in just over two years with a license, he has just recorded his 100th career winner. He tells me how he's done it and what his hopes are for the next few days a bit later in this edition. I'll also be catching up with Paddy Barlow, who's the Vice President of the Euro European Student Horse Racing Federation about the first ever student derby which will take place at the Curra on their final race day of the year the 26th of October but before we get into today's racing and before we talk about all of that a story that caught my eye and I'm sure many of yours yesterday concerning the former jockey Ruby Walsh who has with Dr Jennifer Pugh from the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board helped to launch a new app Leaf Yard which he has brought to uh, the Irish Jockeys Room um, for the benefit of their mental health. It's had a, a very interesting uptake so far. And before we hear from Lee Mottishead, senior writer from the Racing Post, who has written extensively on this subject, uh, I've been talking to, to Ruby himself, and I asked him what prompted his involvement. Rich Ritchie put me in touch with a man called Phil Simmons a couple of months ago, and Phil had invested in and helped create an app called Leafyard, which was designed to help people who have mental health issues or having problems with mental health. So um, I got in touch with Phil and he walked me through the whole process of the app. Now I thought it was extremely simple and how it worked. Um, I thought it asked you good questions, your answers directed you, your answer directed the app where to bring you to the next question. And once your session was over, the app came back to remind you to go back in the following week. To me, it was being able to talk to somebody without having to go to an appointment or without having to make an appointment, it came to you. I thought it was pretty simple, very easy. So I approached Michael Higgins and the Irish Indoor Jockeys Fund. I'm the chairman of it. And um, I asked him what he thought. He had a look at it. And we said it to Jennifer Pugh at the IHRB. She liked it as well. And they have basically run with it since. Um, they rolled it out on a trial basis to all the jockeys in Ireland at the start of the summer. There was a huge, uh, a pretty substantial uptake in it from the jockey population, but it was the amount of riders who were, re- the reoccurring use was the was the big thing. 88% of those riders who sound, signed up are still using it. So I think the proof is in the, is in the eating of anything. And... Therefore, to me, it looks like it's working. So the IHRB are going to roll it out for trainers next um, here in Ireland. It's, it's really interesting. Just give me an example. So if you, you have the app on your phone and you, you 
press the, the the launch page, so you you open it up. What what's the first thing you see? Um, it asks you about how your day went, mood, how you're feeling. Um, it's pretty simple. It's it's an almost multiple choice answers, but each answer will direct you to the next question. But the next question, it's going to ask you, and depending on how. I suppose low or high your answers are it's the direction it sends you in and it just seems to answer your problems <laughs> and it really is quite simple now look it's not for everybody and people who would be really depressed it will refer on to an in to a to a proper professional and um, it doesn't it's not going to help everybody but it will find people who are suffering worse than others and um, it will help people who just need somebody to talk to uh, and everybody knows about web doctor and apps that that help uh, you with your your physical well-being this is is essentially an equivalent for your for your mental well-being i mean do you do you agree that you don't have to have a clinical diagnosis for this to be of use to you. This is about maintaining your your mental equilibrium, particularly in a sort of highly adrenalised sporting environment. I, I, exactly. And I mean, the answers, Nick, to maintaining that are really quite simple. And people know what the answers are. Drink more water, uh, get better sleep, all really quite simple things are the, are the answer to keeping a, a stable uh, mental equilibrium but people need to be reminded to do it and me included and it's it just, just it's very very simple and I think if you can help for me with mental health if you can only help two people find a way to talk to somebody I think you've done plenty of good work now, Ruby Walsh there. Lee Mottisette is a senior writer from the Racing Post. Lee, this seems a, a really simple, obvious idea, but one that we haven't seen before. No, it just adds an extra layer to the, the mental health um, protection and care being afforded to, to our athletes. Um, and it's tremendously welcome. It's a great initiative, great work from Ruby, great work from everybody at the IHRB and all concerned. We, we, we've all seen it. There's, there's been a transformation in the last three, four, five years of how not just as a as a, as a group of people, as a nation, as, as countries, we, we look at mental health now, but particularly, I think, within horse racing, within sport in general, but particularly within this sport, I think there has been a transformation in terms of the willingness of people to, to really talk about mental health and talk about their own mental health as well crucially um and we've seen we've read of numerous examples of of people whose lives have been transformed by being able to to tackle and talk about their mental health and we've also read and, and heard of many f f many di different stories Nick, where the ending has been far less happy and there have been all too many of those sadly so I think the more that we can do um, to, to make people um, able to investigate their own minds, we all, we, we all talk about, you know, we, we need to be aware of our own bodies, but we need to be aware of our own heads. And that, that applies to all of us. And if there's an, an app like this, that as Ruby explained, you can ask simple questions, but it can almost give you a, a daily service 
of your of your mental health and it might direct you towards somewhere else if you need that then that can only be welcomed. It's a marvellous thing. Now let's talk about what's happening on the track today. We are anticipating a statement from Godolphin, from Charlie Appleby, confirming that Adair and or Hurricane Lane will be heading to the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. We are expecting William Buick to be confirmed as the rider for Adair after a key gallop yesterday, but that news is not confirmed as yet. So we will concentrate for the time being on what we do know, and that is that we've got three fabulous days racing at new markets to look forward to. Uh, Buick and Appleby will very much be part of that and a very interesting runner, Master of the Seas, in the Joel Stakes tomorrow, perhaps en route to a tilt at the Breeders' Cup mile. But one man who could have a sensational weekend is George Bowie. He's got two runners in the Chibley Park Stakes on Saturday looking for his first Group 1 victory and he's just passed 100 winners with two in France to add to 98 here and I've been talking to him and began by congratulating him on what's been an amazing achievement. Thanks. That's very kind. Um, no, look, it's we probably got there a little bit quicker than than expected a couple of years ago. But um, it's been a lot of hard work along the way from a lot of people, and you know, just very thankful for everyone who's working working with me, really. So let's just set this into context. What was the what was the month of your first runner? July 2019. So you've only been going just over two years, and you've already got to a to a hundred winners. And how many horses did you have in the yard when you started? I mean that is a that is a remarkable ascent, really, especially during during a pandemic as well. Yeah, it's um it's slightly sort of snowballed into what it is now. But um, now look, we started with four pretty lowly rated horses, and it's as we were just saying before, it's it's pretty cool to have some some nice chances for for the, one of the big meeting you know one of the big meetings at Newmarket this weekend. I mean, I, it's a bit it's a bit early in your career for me to start doing a retrospective, really, but. Um, what what was the horse that really kicked it off? Who kicked it off for you? Who who sort of brought you to prominence? I think at a much lower level, it was actually probably a horse called Three Seas, um, who Sam Haggis bought privately for um, a very small sum, um, and he I think he won six races for us, and he started racing forty seven, and just sort of climbed the ranks. And I think it was through the winter I was just pretty keen to to find those types of horses and, and try and prove to people that if we could win with lower rated horses then we might get sent some better ones and um, then we started having a few two-year-old winners last year and then we bought what we hoped might be the right two-year-olds for this year and unfortunately they have been. Uh, did you really notice the pandemic from a business point of view or did you just keep your head down and keep going? We were I think I think we were incredibly lucky we weren't very big at the time and the owners that we had in the yard were very supportive and you know we didn't have any horses taken away and it's very hard you know we were I didn't lay off any staff and you know we were able to continue basically as normal um, obviously we didn't race for a couple of months and you know we had the horses it was a big thing of mine to make sure that we had them absolutely flying when we started again and yeah it was it was tricky and there were moments where you know we had staff off with COVID and that sort of thing but you know, we we were able to continue pretty much as as normal through it. So um, yes, it was tricky, but but we managed it quite well, I think. What aspect of of, of training has has given you the most satisfaction so far? Um, I think winners, really. I don't, I don't. Wherever it is, whether it be at Wolverhampton on the Friday night or Newmarket on Saturday, it's you know it's that feeling of, of winning and. and 
you know, getting the best out of the horses for your owners and um, you know, we try and win with every every horse we run and yeah, I think you know, it's that team feeling of when when you've got the horse from breaking it in to winning its maiden really. Uh, and what I thought was particularly noticeable was that you're in particularly good form at the moment. It's not as though you haven't been all year, but the notion that you would have this flurry of two-year-old winners and then, you know, as night follows day, it would dry up by midsummer. You've firmly put that to bed. Yeah, I think, you know, there was obviously people, there were people saying that at the start of the year and I knew that what we had back at home, you know, we had a bunch of horses who were going to be active at this time of the year. We had a lovely winner for Shake Easter at Kempton the other day, a big backward Ribchester horse. He's going to want a mile and a quarter next year and some nice milers that we're running at the moment and a few more to run and I think you know it's not just about early two-year-olds we've you know, proved it with Mr. Angel and the Oaks this year being second you know of our first crop of two-year-olds and you know I think we were able to get them running early but I'm just about to breeze two horses two fillies that run in the Chevy Park on Saturday so um, you know they've certainly they certainly lasted the year anyway. Yeah, you've got some really exciting horses running uh, over the next few days. Um, you mentioned your two in the Chibley Park, Corazon and, and Thunder Love. What realistic claims do you think they've got? Well, I think Corazon is a filly who, well, obviously they're both stepping up six furlongs for the first time. Um, Corazon's surprised us. I, we went to France hoping that she might pinch a bit of black type and, and she got a very good ride from Mikel Barcelona and won, but to then come back eight days later in the Flying Childers having travelled from France to England to then, you know, very nearly win the Flying Childers. I think, you know, she is more than capable at this level, I think. Um, William Buick said that if she had had a bit of company, she might have she might have won the Flying Childers. She was only beaten two next, so um, she should run a very big race, I think. And then Thunderlove, um, she wasn't even two when she won her first two two-year-old races at the start of the year, and we gave her a break through the summer so she could be ready for these sort of races. Um the ground's drying at Newmarket every hour and she wants it the quicker the better. So I think they're two live each way chances. Well, Lee back with me. Uh, uh, George Bowie there, well, 100 winners in no time, Lee. And yeah. He could easily get a Group 1 winner this weekend and possibly another couple of pattern winners. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a remarkable success story from a remarkable um, young man who's made a tremendous start to his, to his training career. It, it, almost, it almost beggars belief when you see people like George and people like Archie Watson who can hit the ground running um, and have such enormous success so soon. And it's great for the industry, isn't it, when you have this young blood um, that comes in and shakes up um, shakes up the system, if you like, because what, what George has done um, is he has not only had plenty of winners, but he's he's very quickly found a niche for himself as someone who is recognised as an extremely successful trainer of of two-year-olds. The extent that during National Racehorse Week, when we were doing features on racehorses at five stages of a, a racehorse's life, it was George we went to to talk about training two-year-olds. And as you say, Nick, um, chances this weekend to to hit the ball through the Group One net, and they're they're, they're perfectly realistic chances. And if that did happen, it would be icing on a on a on a pretty amazing cake. It would. Other news this week: uh, Frankie Dettori will ride Magical Morning in the Cambridgeshire, the big handicap of the weekend, as opposed to the anti-post favourite Uncle Bryn, which will come as a surprise to some, no doubt. 
it comes as a surprise to this racing post journalist Nick. yeah i mean i did i'd have thought that uncle Bryn has the look of your well not quite your textbook john gosden uh cambridge winner um but he, he has a feel of being a, a potentially progressive unexposed horse in that because i remember listening to the podnik back in april um when you're interviewing andrew black and at that point they had the derby dream um now the derby dream was pretty quickly extinguished in the epsom trial and, and then again at york but he he returned um a very different horse to win at ascot last time albeit in a in a relatively ordinary race but that thrust him towards the top of the cambridgeshire betting and it is interesting that frankie ha- is deserting a horse who has been pretty much 92 52 favorite for the cambridgeshire and has gone for a horse who is available as we speak now, Nick, at uh, early morning, but probably not now, but on the pod comes out at 14 to 1. Um, horse Magical Morning, who is a very a solid horse and ran a PB last time in that big one-mile handicap at the Ebor Festival, but doesn't look like a, one of those Gosden Cambridgeshire winners who will progress to, to, to high group company. Um, it looks like Frankie is playing the solid safe bet over the potential wild card and that might that might um pay dividends and if it does it was a really wise choice if uncle brim wins it wasn't yeah he doesn't make too many bad choices does he sometimes he gets put on wrong horses but he doesn't he doesn't step the wrong side of the line too much when it comes to to picking the right horse it no he doesn't and and i think with the best will in the world it's got to be a concern if you fancy uncle brim because the fact that Frankie has picked, as I say, a solid but unspectacular horse over Uncle Bryn would, in my head, tell me as much about what he thinks of Uncle Bryn as it does what he thinks of of Magical Morning. Um, so it is a it, it would be a concern. Certainly, Uncle Bryn, um, the horse earlier in the season anyway, was it was a bit tricky. Um, and perhaps Frankie just doesn't think he's a sort of horse who will appreciate the huge field cavalry charge that the the Cambridgeshire is. But it's a big call. It is a big call. Lee, just talk to me a little bit about the two two-year-old races and what you anticipate there. Perfect powers, very short odds, the morning winner for the middle park. And we're very much looking forward to seeing Jer Lyons as Philly Sacred Bridge in the in the Cheveley Park. Which way do you see these races going? Um, well, I think, as you say, Nick, I think perfect power looks a pretty short price favourite for me um in the middle park stakes um it's not a great middle park on paper to be fair it's largely stacked with horses who've had plenty of races and don't necessarily look like they're going to go on to be amazing three-year-olds so this could be for whoever wins the race this could be their their big day i don't necessarily have a view on who i think will win the race but i think at the current prices perfect power looks too short a price although he could start a a very big uh, series of weekends for Christoph Sumio, who's been confirmed to ride Tanara course in the arc for the Aga Khan, and Christoph keeping the ride on perfect power, having won on him in France last time for Richard Fahey. Um, the Chibi Park Stakes, I think potentially, Nick, it looks the more interesting of the two races. It looks the one that maybe will have an impact on, on next year's big three-year-old contest. Joe Lyons has been extremely bullish in what he said about Sacred Bridge. Certainly, I think the 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 form of what she's achieved looks interesting. The manner in which she's been doing it looks interesting. Um, back at the start of the season, I was hugely excited by Flotus, the Simon and Ed Chrisford filly, and I thought she was my banker for Royal Ascot. Well, that 
that banker proved to be a pretty dodgy a dodgy tip. Um, she bounced back at Ripon last time. I think she could be interesting and if she produces her best form. But of those two market leaders, Nick, Sacred Bridge and Perfect Power, for me, Sacred Bridge is the more interesting, both as a bet on Saturday and as a longer-term prospect. Um, just for the moment, Lee, finally, a couple of appointments this week, quite interesting. Wilf Walsh, uh, formerly a um, senior figure at Coral, he is, has been appointed the chairman of the Racecourse Association and the gambling brief in the latest government reshuffle has gone to uh, hitherto little known MP Chris Philp. What do you make of both those appointments and well, why think, are they significant? Well, I think well, they're, they're significant for different reasons. Isn't it? Chris Philp's appointment is significant because he will have enormous influence and power on both the, the gambling and therefore the racing industries. Um, going forward. He's not someone I know a huge deal about. He's the MP for Croydon South. Uh, Bill Barber, my colleague, the Racing Post industry editor, um, has penned in a piece today pointing out in 2017 that Phil wrote the forward to a report by Think Tank uh, in which uh, he called for FOB tea stakes to be reduced to £2, saying the machines damage the lives of people, our economic prosperity and the fabric of our communities. Now, of course, much has happened since then, but he laid his cards on the table there. So he's someone that the, the, the betting industry will know about and the racing industry as well. Wilf Walsh is interesting, Nick, because um, the RCA, the Racecourse Association, has acquired the services of a very serious operator. I think if you look at racing politics, that that that, that confusing, often dreadful thing, racing politics that can be uh, a, a, sometimes a, a, a less pleasant place than politics itself. But if you look at racing politics, it often boils down to battles between the participants, a word I much prefer to horsemen, the participants and the racecourses. And the problem that participants have found traditionally is they find it very hard to coalesce together around a single point. Very often you'll see trainers at odds with jockeys. Um, you see at the moment you in, in Charlie Parker led um, efforts to uh, secure a deal with ARC over prize money agreements that will result in extra races being added to cards. He has that view. The the National Trainers Federation and the Professional Jockeys Association have had a very different view. So I think it's been difficult for for the participants to to make themselves heard and to be an effective bargaining force because while they can't coalesce around points. Race courses, although they're not a united being, have been much more successful at presenting a united voice to to BHA and to to, to forwarding their case. Since Baggy Carver's departure, obviously there was question marks as to who would replace her. Well, I think they have made a Group One class appointment in Wolf Walsh because of his previous uh, life in the in the bookmaking industry. He knows the corridors of power. He knows people at the high end of racing politics. He knows people at the high end of politics in general. He's a very strong negotiator. Um, and I think it just shows, again, that racecourses will be going into any any debating room, any negotiating room, um, any room where decisions are being made with a very powerful operator and an effective operator at their side. So it's great for racecourses and it sends out a further warning to participants that they need to be better at what they do in that sense. Lee, for the moment, thank you. It's the heart of sales season, of course, at present. And the podcast is very grateful for all the support it receives from the Bloodstock community. And I know many of you uh, listen on a, a daily basis, including our friends at, at Mill Ridge Farm, who are standing 
Oscar performance by Kittens Joy out of the theatrical Mayor Divine Actress, a grade one winner at two, three and four, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Champion. And at four, Oscar performance set the world record at one mile on the turf at Belmont Park in 131.23. All his races were won without race day medication. His yearlings will be presented at Keeneland September sales. That is Oscar performance standing at Mill Ridge Farm. Now something a little different today and news of the first ever Curra Student Derby, which will take place on October the 26th, the final race day at Ireland's premier race course. And I'm joined to tell us a little bit more by the Vice President of the European Student Horse Racing Federation, uh, Paddy Barlow. Paddy, how did the idea come about? The idea, this was set up um, last year by... Uh... Riley Dargan, who's uh, along with me, has been helping to set up this uh, race on the 26th of October. Uh, our main aim is to increase student uh, participation in racing, ideally. Um, racing, uh, as seen by many, is probably quite an ageing demographic, and we really want to push uh, youth integration into horse racing. And we thought, what better idea um, than to organise the first ever race to be ridden in by students, for students, um, which very kindly, thanks to uh, uh, the Cairo Race Course and HRI, um, will be taking place on the 26th of October. It's a great idea. Tell me a bit more about the European Student Horse Racing Federation, which sounds as though you've kind of got organised and got mobilised. <laughs> yeah, so th- this was set up by uh, Riley last year. And... Uh, the idea was um, that we were going to run events um, and try and break down the barrier um, between people who generally didn't know too much about racing um, and probably didn't have any of the contacts that um, I was so lucky and a few of us were so lucky to grow up around um, and try and get people into it who probably didn't have such a background in horse racing um, and show them that there are lots of graduate jobs and that they can. It's not all about going to the races and having a nice time, which is always great. But we also want to get people into it and stay in the industry, uh, which would be ideal. That's interesting because you quite often talk to people involved with Great British Racing. I've had this conversation with Rod Street a few times about um, getting into university campuses, um, trying to you know, attract students to horse racing. And it's been quite a, quite an impenetrable area, really, for, for various reasons. And one of those reasons that's been cited is uh, the promotion of gambling on, on campuses. Is, is that something you've come up against or not? So we did slightly at the start, but we, can't, we um, moved away from it and we with the students union and we've got actually we're doing a promotional day with our nottingham race course next week uh, i'm at university uh, nottingham university and we're doing a students race day with um in conjunction with careers and racing and the jockey club uh, there uh, which is focused not on the gambling side that's totally optional if people want to do it they can do which we make clear um we've been asked several questions and we try to avoid promoting it um and merely say that it's an optional thing um, due to the negative connotations that it sometimes appears. Uh, rather, we try to push the fact that we're, we're here for a nice time. Um, we tr- uh, also try to push the fact that there is something more to it than it may seem, you know, uh, the jobs and everything. And there's actually a future uh, for a lot of people if they want to go into it. And, and, and Paddy, the European Student Horse Racing Federation, uh, 
presumably you're looking to expand your membership all the time. Have you had a good uptake so far? Yeah, we've had a very good uptake. Um, currently, we're looking at trying to get out to more, reach out to more universities. Um, in Ireland, it's been taken up um, very well, actually. Uh, and with England, probably a little slower, uh, just mainly because of the fact that it was initially set up in Ireland and it probably wouldn't be as strong as a horse racing demographic over here as there would be over to there. And just trying to broaden appeal would be great. We were published in the um, Thoroughbred Daily News this year, which is obviously in America. Uh, we also had, we also want to try and make it a totally European, pan-European thing. Um, we had interest in Sweden and Spain this year as well and um, to join in the federation, which would be great to rather than just become a localised uh, Britain and Ireland federation great thanks to paddy and to george and also at the beginning of the program to ruby walsh lee mottershead is is still with me and has a tip for you today for the first day of the cambridgeshire meeting uh well nick i always think this day is when the autumn racing program really begins i know Newmarket raced last weekend but this like feels the the, the, the proper start of this big uh, back-end series of meetings at Newmarket. this thursday fixture has got some interesting contests too headed by the tattersall stakes um Andre Farb having a run in this race makes the race particularly interesting. And if you're a backer of Perfect Power, because Trident ran second uh, to that horse in the pre-morning last time. But I'm actually going to go to the other end of the market, Nick. Um, for years, I, um, I, I I spent writing uh, columns uh, with Richard Hughes, the Racing Post. He's his ghost writer. I helped him with his autobiography. I would love nothing more than to see Richard Hughes have a really good horse. And I think he might have one in Ring of Bearer. He's a big price, the Tassel Stakes, about 16 to 1 as we speak now. But he was tremendously impressive uh, at Fuslas when he won there, uh, when he broke his maiden in a race, having run second at Glorious Goodwood. He looks a high-class horse. Ryan Moore rides a horse, even though interesting, Trident is owned by the Coolmore owners. Um, and I think Ring of Bearer could run a big race um, today. And each way, well, there's only seven runners, so each way is maybe not that attractive. But I think it's 16 to 1. He's a very good price. Lee, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Thursday, September the 23rd. I'm off to Newmarket. I will see you again first thing tomorrow morning. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.